I don't know if you caught this when Josh was leading service and he was uh, making the announcements. He tends to poke fun at others, so I thought I'd poke fun at him for just a minute. <laughs> he said something about kids, and then he was talking about the children, and then he said, I don't know if anybody caught this, but then he said, speaking of children, we have a lost and found department. <laughs> and I was sort of on the edge of my seat trying to wonder what the connection was going to be. I'm picturing little kids like sitting down in the lost and found. (laughs) You did that. It was funny. I'm sure there was some other connection. I didn't get it. So listen, there's no kids over here in our lost and found. So if you don't know where your kids are, that's another problem. Merry Christmas. Historically, God's people have made Christmas a four-Sunday celebration called Advent, which means arrival, and that's how we're celebrating Christmas here. It's how we celebrate Christmas every year. We started last Sunday, and these next three Sundays, including Christmas Sunday, will be devoted to taking up our church's four traditional Advent themes, and they are hope and love and joy and peace. The truth is that apart from Christ, there is no true and lasting hope or love or joy or peace. So in celebrating the arrival of Christ, we are celebrating the ultimate arrival of true and lasting hope, love, joy, and peace. As well, each week, I mentioned this last week and I'll say it again today, I'm going to set out to illustrate these four themes by connecting them to some of our most popular Christmas traditions, maybe the most popular Christmas traditions, Christmas lights, Christmas music, Christmas gifts, and Christmas trees. When we think of Christmas today, most of us think of those kinds of traditions, and the truth is that each of those Traditions has gospel roots. And each of those traditions are meant to remind us of Christ. So last week, we thought about Christmas lights together. And this morning, toward the end of the sermon, we'll illustrate love by pointing out the tradition of the exchanging of Christmas gifts. Our theme this morning is love, and our text is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. So if you have not opened your Bibles yet, would you please open them to Matthew chapter 1. Before I preach this sermon, we should pray. Will you please bow your heads with me? Our Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us today to open up your word together and hear from you. Help us to be attentive, God. 
Help us to hear your word, to understand your word, to apply your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century English pastor said, Oh, the beloved of God, had you had the hatred of all mankind, this honey would turn their hatred into sweetness. God's love is great. God's love is enough. If, even if, Everybody hated me. And only God loved me. I'd be okay. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Let me read it again. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. My wife and I have been blessed with six kids. And they are named Peyton and Brady, and Jackson, and Blaze, and Avery, and Reed. Five boys, one girl. And we gave each of them their names for various reasons, and all of their names have various meanings, but none of their names have a meaning like This name, Jesus. Mary and Joseph did not have the liberty of choosing a name for their firstborn son. They were given a name to give him, and that name was Jesus. Verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for... He will save his people from their sins. And they obeyed the Lord. Verse 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from his sleep, 
He did as the angels the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Jesus, a combination name. A combination of two words, Jesus is. The two words are the Lord and saves. His name is Yehovah Yasha, Yeshua, Jesus, the Lord saves. That's his name because Jesus saves sinners. Jesus saves sinners, which is proof that God loves sinners. And there's our theme today. Love. In John 3.16, most of you know it, John 3.16 tells us why God sent His Son. Why did God send His Son according to John 3.16? He sent His Son for He so loved the world. So why is Jesus born? Why is He sent to this earth by God the Father? For God so loved the world. Or consider Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, and do you remember the next part? Because of the great love with which He loved us. So there it is again. This motivation of love for His people. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So that is... There is our Advent theme this morning. It is love. So let's talk about this love of God this morning. Let's talk about, let's let's understand this love of God. The Bible has so much to say about the love of God. And I think the love of God is often misunderstood. And I think that the love of God is often even dumbed down. And if we're going to talk about the love of God this morning, then here's what we should do first. We should start with what I would say is the most shocking claim regarding God and love. This is shocking. 
And we'll try to get our heads around this this morning. But we will not get our heads around this this morning. This is mind-boggling, mind-stretching, mind-blowing truth. Most shocking claim in your Bible regarding God and love. So here it is. Listen to the Apostle John in 1 John 4.8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, and here it is, God is love. Listen to John again in verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and guides and abides in Him. So point number one. We'll have five of them this morning. Regarding the love of God. Point number one. God is love. That means more than God loves. That means more than God is loving. That means more than God is loved. God does love. And God is loving. And God is loved. But this right here, this is something more. I mean, we can love. And we can be loving. And we can be loved. But not one of us is love. Not one of us can say, I cannot say, do you want to know what love is today? Guess what? I am love. That would be a terrible thing to say. And you would know right away that is not true. But God is. God is. So, love is not just something God does. Love is something God is. It speaks of His very nature and essence. I mean, here we go, right? Feel your brain just start to stretch as you try to understand this. God is love. So, this grammatical structure, God is, is used only three times in your Bible. All three times it is used by John. You remember the other two? God is Light, God is spirit, and here, God is love. So again, love is more than an attribute of God. It's more than something that comes from God. It comes from God because He is love, or God loves because He is love. Here's an implication of this to help us 
try and understand how big this is. Here's an implication of this shocking statement that God is love. If God is love, then His love finds expression in everything He says and does. If God is love, it's His very nature, His very essence, it's not all that God is, but if He is love then that love works out and finds expression in everything He says and everything He does. So in everything God says, in everything that God says, in everything that God does, love can be found. Well, that is easy to accept if... You think of God as just sort of a spiritual vending machine in the sky. And many people do. And if your thought of God is that He's this sort of spiritual vending machine where the idea is that only the things that I want come from God and all the things in my life that I don't want come from somewhere else, then when I hear, when you hear me say that, Everything God does for you and everything God says to you is an expression of His love. If, if you just put into that category, oh, you mean all the things that I want and all the things that go well and all the things, all the, you know, God is like this motivating Hallmark card. And everything He says just makes me happy and puts a smile on my face and makes life easier and makes me happier in the moment. If, if that's what you mean, I get that. Yeah, God is love. If you mean that God is like this vending machine and everything in the vending machine is just wonderful things that I want and I just wake up and I just put, I'll have that blessing today, I'll have this blessing today and then I watch the little corkscrew and down comes the blessing and I grab it. He is so loving. It's easy to accept if you think of God like that. But for those of us who thoroughly read our Bibles. This can be difficult. The Bible makes it clear that God is love, and therefore His love finds expression in everything He does. And so therefore, even those things which I perceive as unloving are loving. This means His wrath is loving wrath. This means His discipline is loving discipline. This means His delaying is loving delaying. We don't feel like that in the moment. This does not feel loving, God. Haven't you felt that? Why haven't you answered this prayer yet? This is an easy one, God. This is a no-brainer. You love me. I want this. What's the problem? (laughs) What I want is a good thing. It will bring you honor. It will bring you glory. And I've prayed for it like three times. 
or you've been praying it for years and years and years. And God is delaying and God is waiting or he's tarrying. He's, he's not coming through the way you thought that he would come through. If God is love, that means that even those things which you perceive as unloving, they are loving. So, it's not as if sometimes God is loving and other times He's not. It's not like God is being loving now. Oh, God is being just now. No. Christian, He is always being loving toward you. Because God is love. Everything in your life has God's love at the bottom of it. I'm not saying that's all that's at the bottom of it, but his love is at the bottom because God is love. Now you may understand most of the words that I just said, but that doesn't mean that you and I understand completely, fully, what it means that God is love. I mean, we could think about that for a lifetime. There's nothing like that. That's point number one. God is love. Point number two, because God is love, He loves We've already started to say this. Because God is love, He loves. Well, how does God love? Well, that's complicated. That's complicated. You really got to read your Bible. You got to read it all over. You got to put the pieces together. How does God love There's no neat, quick, four-word answer to that. I mean, even our love is complicated. My love is complicated. Your love is complicated. We're capable of loving many people. We love many people and maybe many things in very different ways. We, We also love to many different degrees, and yet we can feel love and affection equally without favoritism toward those we dearly love. I mean, those are some complicated things I just said about even our love. Our kids cannot get a handle on this yet in our home. We have this conversation every once in a while. In fact, we I just had it with a few of our boys in the car yesterday, and, the, and the, the light-hearted discussion is, how can mom and dad really love all of us equally? And they don't, they don't accept that yet. No, you have a favorite dad, and they tell you who they think it is. <laughs> Some of you could guess. And they say, mom and mom, we... we we think you, you have a favorite, and we think we know who that is, because there's no way. There's no way. There's six of us. 
There's no way you love all of us equally. You've got to have a favorite. So they're convinced there are favorites. But those of you who are parents and you have more than one child, or maybe you've got more than one grandkid, you, you don't have favorites. Or if you do, you should repent. Maybe that's the application from the sermon. Your time, you can go now. <laughs> You've got everything you need. You don't have favorites. That's complicated. How is that possible? That's true. We had this book uh, that we've read a lot of our kids since they were little, and the book is You're All My Favorites. We love it. And it's this mama bear and this daddy bear, and they've got three baby bears, and the baby bears are trying to work it out too. Like, who's your favorite? They come to them privately, right? Hey, who's who's your favorite? And what does the parent say? You're my favorite. And then the other one comes, who's your favorite? Oh, you're my favorite. Then the other one comes and says, who's your favorite? You're my favorite. Then they come together and say, hey, you're lying here. You're not being, and what's the answer? No, you're all my favorite. I love all of you. So we tell the kids that they'll understand this maybe when they're older. And it is, it is a mystery of love. Even still today, it's a mystery to me. Even our love as human beings is is complicated. Even our love is mysterious. So is God's love. So quickly, here are just three ways that God loves. That's our point here, because God is love, He loves Quickly, here are just three ways that God loves as you look at the Bible. And there are more. Number one, the Trinitarian love of God. That's a big phrase. Or the, more precisely, the inter-Trinitarian love of God. So think about this. God loves. God has existed eternally And as long as he has existed, he has been love. God is love. He's existed forever. And as long as he has existed forever, he has been love. So here's the question. Who did God love before us? Who did God love before Adam and Eve? The truth is, God is love. God gave love and Think about this, and received love for an eternity before us. People are not the first objects of God's love. We are not his first relationship. Which means, by the way, we do not meet some unfulfilled need in God. That can't be it. Here's the answer. Who has he loved for all eternity? The Bible teaches that God is, here we go again. God is one God in three persons. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. 
God is one God, but he exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that means that God has forever been in fellowship. That means that God forever has been in community. That means that God forever has been giving and receiving love within himself. Wow. Bible say that John 3:35 the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand John 14:31 but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father number 2 the providential love of God the providential love of God So we've got the inner Trinitarian love of God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, first relationship before we ever came on the scene. But now, ever since we showed up, were created, God has been loving people. And He has been doing good to us. God loves His creation. God loves all of His creation. Think of it this way. And He has a soft spot for His people. He sends the sun and the rain and color-changing leaves and frost and food and Jesus whose life is a benefit to all whether they believe in Him or not. Psalm 145, 8 and 9. Listen to this providential, far-reaching, God loves everyone, love of God. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. It is true. Though the world does not love God, God loves the world. So we've got the inner Trinitarian love of God. We've got the providential. This is getting complicated, isn't it? We've got the providential love of God. And then third, I said I'd give you three. We have the special love of God. Buckle up, Christians. The special love of God. God, it is clear, loves the whole world. But then, according to Deuteronomy 32.10, there is the apple of His eye. Scripture calls them the beloved. They are the people of God. They are the elect of God. They are the chosen of God. They are the bride of Christ. And Jesus holds a special love for this bride. Just like men, I hope you hold a very special love for your bride. Moving on to point number three. How is this love, this special love from God for his people demonstrated how is that third special love of God for the apple of his eye for his chosen people how is that love of God demonstrated how is that expressed now here's what's happening we're getting very close to the manger now we're moving in 
on the Christmas story when we ask that question, how is God's special love expressed to his people? Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So point number three. The love of God for his people is demonstrated through the sending or advent and giving up of his son to die in their place that they may be reconciled to him. Now, let me say that again. If you're a Christian here this morning, maybe stop writing for a minute and think about this. I'll say it again. The love of God for his people is demonstrated through the sending and giving up of his son to die in their place that they may be reconciled to him. 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. That's Matthew 1, 18 through 25. So that we might live through him. Or Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, that's Jesus, who loved me and so what did he do? Because he loved him and gave himself up for me. So this special love that God has for his chosen people is expressed through the sending of his son, Jesus. This is what the manger is all about. This is why the manger is such a big deal. This is why we celebrate the birth of Christ. Now, there's a crucial point here. This will be point number four. There's a crucial point here. And I, I know you know this. But point number four, this special love of God is undeserved. This special love of God or this particular love of God or this saving love of God or this electing love of God, it is undeserved. It is undeserved by me. It is uncaused by me. It is uninfluenced by me. God does not and I'll speak for myself, God does not love me because I'm lovable. That is not why God loves me. I don't deserve his love. I have no claim on his love. There's nothing in me to influence or cause his love for me. We're going back and remembering now, God loves me because he is love. If he is not love, 
then he would not love me because there is nothing in me to draw God to me. And I hope you could all say that. I hope none of you would stand, would stand up and say, I don't know about the rest of you, but there is something in me that is worthy of God's love and that I think draws God to me, and I'm not surprised that he loves me. The rest of you, I get it, but I hope none of you would say that. I don't think you would. It's because God is love, and if he's not love, he would not love me. I mean, my profile is not impressive. Like if I've got a profile out there and I'm looking for a relationship with God, he's not impressed. Arthur Pink said, God's love for me and for each of his own was entirely unmoved by anything in us. What was there in me To attract the heart of God? Absolutely nothing. But to the contrary, there was everything to repel him. Everything calculated to make him loathe me. Sinful, depraved, a mass of corruption with no good thing in me. This is how God put it to ancient Israel in Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8. So God talked to the apple of his eye in Deuteronomy 7. It was not because, that's a great start, that's going to be helpful. Why do you love him? It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So what did God just say through Moses to the apple of his eye? He said, I love you because I love you. The question is, proceeds that God, I know you love us, why God Why do you love us? And his answer is, well, it's not because you're impressive. That's his answer. It's because I love you. Well, that's that's like circular. But there's his answer over and over again. There's never anything in us to point to. You ask God the question, why do you love me? The answer is, because I love you. I don't know how, have you, how many of you maybe when in a relationship you're in now with your wife, your husband, or maybe a Another kind of romantic relationship that you're in now, maybe a relationship that you had when you were younger. You might remember asking this question, why do you love me? (laughs) Any of you ever ask that question? Tell me, tell me, tell me why you love me. 
Now, let me rephrase that question. Tell me how great I am. (laughs) That's the question. That's what I'm asking. That's what I'm going after. Like, feed me. Give, tell me all the wonderful things about me. That doesn't work with God. Those kinds of responses don't come back from God. Oh, Eric, I could go on and on with nothing. (laughs) There's nothing like that. There's nothing in me that draws God to me. Arthur Pink, the theologian, he got it right when he said, there's everything in me to repel God. This special love of God is undeserved, it is uncaused and uninfluenced. Now listen, that is great news. You're thinking, really? (laughs) This sounds terrible. This is great news. God does not love you because of anything great in you. He loves you because he is love. That is good news because, therefore, his love for you will never change. See, what's the problem if God loves you because of something about you? You're going to change. What's the fear when someone says they love you and they start rattling off all the reasons they love you? You're thinking half of those aren't even true. It's only a matter of time before they figure that out. And the other half, they might change and get worse. What if they change? What if I change? You remember young hearing this? I love the way you look. That was a scary thing to hear. I'm not going to look like this for long. It's probably not going to get better. But if God's love for me is not based on anything in me, but it is based on everything in him, that means when God says he loves me, I can take it to the bank. That means I don't have to doubt that love. I don't have to question that love. That means that God will never leave me. That means that God will never divorce me. That means that God will never stop loving me. It doesn't sound so good at first. Think it through. That's good news, friends. Romans eight thirty-five and following. This is made so clear. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then Paul goes on. You've also had that conversation. Would you love me even if? What if I was terribly maimed in a car accident? What if I was burned beyond recognition? Would you still love me? People ask those kinds of questions. You hear God's answer in Romans chapter 8? For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death 
nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Finally, point number five. I think I should say the first four points to bring home point number one. Number one, God is love. Number two, because God is love, he loves. Number three, the love of God for his people is demonstrated through the sending and giving up of his son to die in their place that they may be reconciled to him. Number four, this special love from God is completely undeserved. And finally, point number five, the love of God for his people is made known to his people by the Holy Spirit. Christian, God loves you. How did you come to know that God loves you this way? It was by the Holy Spirit. God has made known His love to His beloved. Beloved here this morning, God loves you. God has demonstrated His love for you through the sending and giving up of His Son to die in your place. And now... God is making known this love for you through the sending of His Holy Spirit. His Spirit has been sent to remind you of God's love for you. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Let me give that to you in a couple other versions. And here, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So this is God communicating His love for His beloved by His Holy Spirit. That's how the ESV puts it. The King James Version says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And the NEB says, God's love has flooded our inmost heart through the Holy Spirit He has given us. If you are here this morning and... At the end of the day, you know God loves you. You know that God sent His Son, Jesus, to die in your place so that you could be reconciled to God. If you are here and you know that this morning, you know that this morning because the Holy Spirit revealed it to you. It's like you were in a room with all the lights off. And you couldn't see anything. What does the Holy Spirit do? He flips the light switch. 
and you see for the first time and over and over and you know the love of God. So it is the church of God alone who knows the love of God. Therefore, it is the church of God alone who truly celebrates Christmas. Isn't it? I know many are celebrating Christmas. And others may celebrate, I want to use this word, superficially. But only those who know and believe who Jesus is and why he arrived truly celebrate his arrival. So I don't know what people are celebrating at Christmas, but I know what Christians are celebrating at Christmas. I know why we're singing the songs. I know why we're filled with joy. I know what we're thinking when we see the lights. John Owen said, we are never nearer Christ than when we find ourselves lost in holy amazement at his unspeakable love. Now let's do this again. We did this last week. Let's do it again this morning. What Christmas tradition should remind us of the love of God? Where can we look over these next few weeks leading up to Christmas? It would be my encouragement to you. Where can we look to be reminded of the love we have in Christ? And I'd say it's the gifts. It's the Christmas gifts. This Christmas, many of you will shop. And you will shop and you will look for the right gift for those you love. Some of you will do better than others. But your goal, I hope, will be to give a gift that will be an expression of your love for the person. You want them, when they open that gift, to get that. You want them to know that. You want them to be reminded that you love them. Well, listen, God knows how to shop for you. God gives the perfect gifts. Let me read to you Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We read it again this morning. God gives the perfect gifts. Listen to Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Did you hear that? Who's the son? Jesus. To us, a son is given. Christ, Jesus, according to Isaiah 9, 6, is a gift. 
He has been given to you. Jesus Christ is a gift from God to His beloved. So, the giving of gifts should remind us of God's love through His gift to us, His only Son. As we're giving gifts and as we're exchanging gifts and we're expressing love for one another through the giving of these gifts, that is to remind us of Isaiah 9, 6, that Jesus is the ultimate gift that has been given to us. The ultimate gift. In conclusion then, what should you do with this gift? Jesus is a gift given to us. What should you do with this gift? What do you do with other gifts? You receive them. You receive them. For those of you who will exchange gifts, someone hands you a gift. They place a gift for you into your hand. Take that gift. Receive that gift. And remember the gift that God has given you. His Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, that's what we are to do with this great gift of God, to receive this gift of God. Now, here's how some people have responded to that. That's too easy. That's too easy. That's all we have to do is receive this gift of God. Yes. Listen, this is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Christianity is the truth from God. Every other religion is made up by man. Their ladders propped up to heaven come up from a conscience that knows there is a God and knows there's a gap and knows we need to somehow get to Him and get reconciled to Him. And so every religion other than Christianity is do, 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 do. You better do this. You better do that. You better not do this. You better do this. You've got to do this. Don't forget to do this. And this is your ladder, and you're supposed to climb it and climb it and climb it. The gospel, Christianity, is nothing like that. It is, this is a gift. There's nothing you can do. There's no way. There's no ladder. This is a gift. You need to receive this gift. You need to believe. The gift is offered. The gospel is preached. Come, we say, and receive Christ. That's what we mean. That's biblical. John 1, to those who receive him. To those who call on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. So we say, come and receive this gift. Come and receive Jesus. Now, if you're still thinking that's, that's too easy, 
No, it is not. It is not easy to receive Christ. Apart from God's help, it is impossible to receive Christ. Do you know why? Because you are too proud to receive that gift. To receive the gift of Christ means humbling yourself. It means admitting that you are a sinner in need of grace. I understood this gift of God and this, I'm so thankful, and this receiving of this gift more clearly than I think ever before. And I was helped by something Timothy Keller said. So let me read to you what he said as we're wrapping up here about what it means to receive this gift of Christ. He says, some gifts by their very nature, make you swallow your pride. Imagine opening a present on Christmas morning from a friend, and it's a dieting book. (laughs) Then you take off another ribbon and wrapper, and you find it is another book from another friend, Overcoming Selfishness. If you say to them, thank you so much, You are in a sense admitting, for indeed, I am fat and obnoxious. (laughs) In other words, some gifts are hard to receive because to do so is to admit you have flaws and weaknesses and you need help. There has never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to do. To accept the true Christmas gift, you have to admit you're a sinner. You need to be saved by grace. You need to give up control of your life. That is descending lower than any of us really wants to go. So friends, admit you're a sinner this morning. Give up control of your life. Humble yourself and receive the free gift of Jesus Christ. If you want to talk about that this morning, I'll stay behind up front at the conclusion of our service, and I would love to talk to you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, will you help us to understand what it means that you are love? More and more, help us, God. We are thankful as your people that you have set your love and affection on us, that you have made known your love to us, that you have made a way for us to be with you. We pray for more of this Holy Spirit pouring of your love into our hearts. 
God, help us to be the most grateful and thankful people, knowing how great the love the Father has lavished on us. Be glorified in the rest of our service today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.